Welcome to We Are SC Game Day. This is Eric McKinney, joined by Greg Katz and Daryl Rideau. We have got a big one on Saturday. USC is hosting the number seven Oregon Ducks. Oregon coming to the Coliseum for the first time. It feels like forever, this sort of rotation where USC misses a couple of Pac-12 North teams. Uh, it's been Oregon for a couple years, and boy, they've been building the, the last time Oregon came to the Coliseum, USC just kind of ran them out behind Ronald Jones, a, a big game uh, for the USC offense, for the defense. That that was not the Oregon team that you remember of sort of the early, you know, 2010s, uh, that, that kind of era Oregon. It feels like the Ducks have some of that back right now. I don't know if they're untouchable, but they've been really good this year. Um, Greg, I just – from you, what does this game mean big picture? Obviously, Oregon, the highest-ranked team in the Pac-12 USC, can, can make a statement. But what do you see kind of being able to spin this forward for USC? What could this mean for a USC team? Well, it could really mean everything. Uh, you know, I was doping it out, so to speak. And you have four really – four scenarios in this game because Utah is at Washington. If SC wins and, Wash and, and let's say Washington wins, SC's basically got a two-game lead, even though it'll be one up in the, in the loss column. Because of the tiebreaker, it's really a two-game lead. It's not inconceivable that Washington cannot set Utah. Now, if SC wins and Utah wins, just another, another week ripped off the season, nothing changes. Same thing if both teams lose, nothing changes. What does change is if Oregon beats SC, and Utah beats Washington, then SC's in some real deep issue because now Utah assumes a one-game lead, three games to go, and uh, Utah's got, I think, a fairly easier road to it. They play UCLA at home, they play at Arizona, and then they host Colorado. And I don't see them losing to any of those three. SC, of course, has to go to Arizona State. Okay, there, there's, there's one, they gotta play UCLA at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, it, it's one of those situations where, uh, you know, they're going to go to Cal in between. And uh, the SCs, if they win out, then no problem. But it's, it could be a real feast. It could be a real famine, depending on the end of what the results are on Saturday. Interesting to say, uh, Eric and um, Daryl, we're going to know what happened between Washington and Utah because they play on Fox before the Trojans play. Uh, you know, it's going to be a real psyche issue and it'll be fun to watch, to be honest with you. And, and you almost always hear, you know, well, we, we don't know what happened in any other game. I got to imagine that somebody alerts USC to what happened uh, in that game. Daryl, can you take me through a little bit? What, what's going through, you know, the, the USC players, coaches' minds? This is kind of the game of the year. Uh, obviously, USC plays Notre Dame they, they went up to Washington they've played some big games but I don't think anything like Greg touched on I don't think any game to this point means as much certainly you haven't seen uh, anything like a number seven ranking and a potential team uh, w with a shot at a, at a college football playoff appearance like Oregon has right now what's going through the minds of some of these players how, how do you get up for a game like this how do you avoid maybe you know, getting too far up uh, for a game like this and sort of striking that balance and getting prepped for a game like this? 
Well, I, I think if you're USC's coaching staff led by Clay Helton, there's not much that you have to do to get the intensity level up of these players. But I will say this. Uh, Clay Helton might have alluded to it in the second half of the Notre Dame game, going back a couple of weeks, where he felt like his team has kind of turned a corner. And the way that they've been playing, the way that they just somehow figure things out, uh, despite, you know, um, giving a team like Colorado a, a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter, you have to believe that USC feels like if you're going to play a hot Oregon team that could potentially be an outside darling when it comes to the melee that happens at the end of the year for an outside opportunity to play in the, the playoffs, with Oregon having only lost you know, a, a close game to Auburn, you're looking at the optics. This game for USC is kind of like the midseason Pac-12 championship preview if USC is able to run the table. And if you're Clay Hilton, you're thinking about it. Aside from this game, as Greg alluded to, the schedule gets more favorable after this game. But, but again, when, when you're talking about preparing for this game and you're kind of trying to summon those emotions, you have to think no further than the last time that USC played in the, in the um, Coliseum. For some reason, it's a tell of two teams, in particular defensively. This is the team that on the road gives up on average 30 points, USC that being. But at home, they're about a 10-point, it's a 10-point uh, difference. They're only giving up on average 20 points a game. So you like the intensity, you like the focus, perhaps it's playing in front of, you know, your home crowd or just sleeping in the confines of your own bed and not, you know, or the, the comfort of a hotel that you're more familiar with. Whatever the case may be, Playing in the Coliseum seems to get the best or bring the best out of these Trojans, and it's going to take every bit of that this weekend against Oregon. Greg, let's slingshot a little bit. We'll, we'll pull back a little bit to Colorado and then throw ourselves into Oregon. What, what do you take from that Colorado game being able to kind of move forward again to, to pull up Oregon? Is this just let's quickly turn the page, or did you see anything from Colorado that, you know, maybe there's a hangover, maybe there's something where – there could be trouble coming for USC with Oregon coming to town. Well, it was my sense. Uh, I was on the field the last five minutes, and the reaction of the team to come back in the manner they did with the great touchdown, 37-yard reception, it was like we finally won on the road. It was, it, it was such an impact that the players were verbally talking about it, and I thought one of the great things about it is what I didn't get a sense at all when they came out of the locker room afterwards for interviews that they're going to have a letdown. I don't think there's going to be any letdown. And I will say this. A lot of people say, well, it, you know, it's a lousy Colorado team. Let me tell you something. That Colorado team competed. And, uh, you know, they were playing at home. They had a nice turnout. It was loud. I thought the Trojans showed great character uh, coming back. And I thought that Slovis showed a lot of guts, a lot of heart. He got racked up. Forget about there wasn't a lot of official sacks. Let me tell you, he got whacked around. And there's a couple of times I thought, you know, he might be starting to head to the sidelines, but he didn't. So I think that he exudes toughness. I thought the defense in the fourth quarter came through when it had to. I wouldn't worry about a letdown right now. What I'd worry more about is the Trojans having to face an Oregon team that has a lot of weapons. And, uh, you know, people sit there and say, well, they almost lost to Washington State. Well, let me tell you, Washington State offensively can beat a lot of teams. The problem, of course, was, uh, that, you know, Oregon was able to come back. So they have character too. So it's going to be a battle of will and a battle of character come Saturday night. 
Look, I, I think that we all know enough by now in the Pac-12, the transit of property means less than nothing when it comes to the Pac-12. You, you see teams every week based on uh, matchups, based on rest, based on who's home, who's away, all that stuff. It, it's, I mean, it's out the window. Team A beats Team B, so they should beat Team C when you look back at records. It, it does not matter uh, in the Pac-12. Daryl, Greg mentioned all the weapons that Oregon brings. Let's start on that side of the ball, looking at USC defensively against Oregon. And there's probably going to be some questions about personnel. Uh, I would guess, again, we're, we're recording this a, a day ahead um, this week, Wednesday night. So still no official word that we've heard from Clay Helton about some of the injury updates. Uh, Christian Rector and Chris Steele both missed the Colorado game. They look uh, absolutely guaranteed, basically, to play against Oregon. They came back, uh, have practiced all week. Then you've got a few other guys who have been out. Uh, Pali Ieno Teote, he practiced some on Wednesday. He's saying he's going to play. How much is certainly going to be determined uh, probably as we get closer to game time. But from what it looks like, he'll definitely be on the field at least at, at some point point in some capacity on Saturday uh, a question mark still with defensive end Drake Jackson and safety Talanoa Hufanga potentially some game time decisions with them I don't know if it makes sense to you know suit them up and, and see how much they can give you maybe it's a snap and then they can't go and then you, you know you haven't really lost anything I think those guys are, are going to be interesting to watch but that being said, it could be some additions from what we saw in Colorado, but this was a USC defense against Colorado that really shored things up over that the last you know, 15, 20 minutes uh, and, and brought it home for that team. Obviously, the, the offense helped out a little bit, but what are, what are your keys? USC defense against an Oregon offense that brings in a potential top five pick in the NFL draft and quarterback Justin Herbert and weapons kind of everywhere. There, there isn't that one guy like Colorado had in, in LaVisca Chenault where it's, if we stop this guy, we think we've got him. Oregon sort of spreads you out and, and does it with a bunch of different guys. Well, well, I think you talked about it. You know, the very thought of having Christian Rector, EA in the middle at the, um, you know, at the linebacker position and even the depth and versatility of a guy like Chris Steele, being able to rotate in with, um, uh, with, with the corners, I think what that does is it energizes the defense because now you're adding more experience back on the field. And if you're this coaching staff and you're starting to dial up uh, defensive game plans, the very thought of having that much experience back on the field almost allows you to open up the playbook a little bit more, maybe show some disguises and wrinkles. Now, look, even if you get some of the guys like EA – or even Christian Rector on a pitch count in a game like this, you may be able to sprinkle them in on, on um, third down packages or obvious blitz packages. Take advantage of the reps that you do get because those healthy bodies um, in that rotation, I think is a part of what the game plan is going to require, which is a lot of experience on the field, some sound gap sound protections, which again, um, forcing Oregon to have to methodically have to come down the field and march and beat you. This is a team that doesn't, um, you know, possess the ball more than 30 minutes a game. They're still that quick strike team that we knew under uh, Chip Kelly years ago. And it seems like they are trying to round in the form. 
But Justin Herbert, you talk about him. He is a potential top five quarterback, and he plays like it. But for some reason, again, I, I talked about USC playing on the road defensively and playing at home, only giving up 24 points. They tend to do things to really disrupt the quarterback that doesn't have a lot of familiarity with going up against a Clancy Pendergast coach team. But it's going to be up to USC to hold their disguises and, again, try to contain those edges. Because the one thing that Oregon does better than anybody on USC schedule is when they hit the hole, they hit the hole very explosively behind uh, C.J. Verdell. And this is a kid who, again, you give him a little bit of daylight, you know, you might as well strike the Oregon band because that's about as explosive as he's going to be. Yeah, it does feel like Clancy Pendergast almost is able to put together better game plans or, or more successful game plans against quarterbacks that have a lot of tape. And, and it doesn't matter if they're good or they're bad. He, he puts together some great game plans against some really good quarterbacks in their third, you know, fourth year starting. And it feels like maybe he has something for Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert. You, you certainly had the game plan against Khalil Tate, like you mentioned, in the Coliseum is where they played well against him. And then uh, Steven Montez, he, he, you know, Colorado was able to gain some yards. But, again, in that second half, they sort of found an answer right. for him. It, it feels like they could do that. I think the question for me looking at this side of the ball, USC's defensive, de the, the defensive unit, how does do those defensive linemen stack up against that Oregon offensive line? The Oregon offensive line, when you talk about combined number of starts, it blows yeah. away the number yeah. two team nationally. This is a very veteran group, a very talented group that's athletic, can move, can set up well in the past. They can do a lot of things well. That's, that's where I'm looking for a matchup. What do you see up front? And I'm glad you mentioned that because, again, the thought of having Christian Rector back, someone who's a veteran who can almost, from the outside in, help kind of reset the, the defensive line. But I expect them to go back to the game plan that they had against Utah and BYU when they went up against wider, more physically dominating offensive lines. They ran a lot of stunts, a lot of delayed blitzes. I don't think against this um, offensive um, line versus Oregon that they can afford to just line up and, and, and try to engage. I really do think that they are going to have to run some delayed stunts, some text, um, some tackle and exchanges to, to really get those um, offensive linemen on their heels early and often. Because I think that if they cause enough disruption, to get Herbert off of his mark, not comfortable. Sometimes when, when again, when Clancy has a lot of film on a, on a quarterback, we heard uh, our, our very own um, Sam Darnold talk a lot about seeing ghosts against the Patriots. Well, for many, I've heard quarterbacks say it's like looking into a kaleidoscope. When you have veteran safeties that are moving around, they show you one look in a pre-snap read uh, in a Clancy Pendergast coach defense then all of a sudden they don't show up or end up where they're supposed to be. Those windows don't exactly look the same. So if, if USC can disrupt Herbert in this offense just enough to get off the field maybe once or twice, take advantage of, you know, some of these um, short bursts that, that Oregon has, I think that they can give themselves a punching chance going into the second half where all season long USC has proved to become more of a, of a, of a second-half team. We heard Clancy Pendergast after Wednesday's practice say some of the issues against Colorado, 
might be able to be fixed in terms of run fits in the secondary and guys being able to communicate, playing a little bit more, obviously losing Talanoa Hufanga when you did that, that's a huge blow in terms of uh, A, his production, but B, sort of mentally what he's able to do back there, getting guys lined up in the right place. He, he can sort of erase uh, a lot of errors that, that maybe show up when he's not out there. Greg, Greg, let's flip to the other side of the ball. Oregon's defense, they ran through and were just unbelievable for uh, a handful of games earlier this season. Didn't allow more uh, than seven points in, I believe, six games in a row. They've been touched up a little bit the last couple of weeks. Washington uh, and Washington State both scored more than 30 points against Oregon. Washington State had them right down to the wire, almost got them another loss. What do you see USC's offense against Oregon's defense, and what does USC's offense really need to bring to the table and do well against the Ducks? Well, let's just take a look statistically-wise for Oregon, if we could. Uh, they give up 14.8 points a game. They're second in the conference. They've given up 12 touchdowns. They're second in the conference. Uh, their total defense is second in the conference. You know, a lot of it's who you play. And as you pointed out, you know, you can play three rumdums and all of a sudden you got a great defensive looking team. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're first in the, in the conference in sacks. So my way of thinking about this game is simply they're going to try to take Pittman out of the game. I think they have much better athletes than Colorado did. I thought the Colorado safeties were horrendous. Uh, on both of Pittman's touchdowns, not to take anything away from him, but late coming over, uh, you know, Pittman made a super play, catches the ball in a triangle of defenders and somehow manages to get to the sideline and then dive in. But I think what's going to really be important is that SC can run the ball. And now last week, remember, against Washington State that Troy Dye did not play uh, against uh, Washington State. And he's a senior, experienced, uh, I think he went 40 games and starting without a problem. So, you know, they're not enormous on the front line. And SD's offensive line, uh, according to Graham Harrell, played a really great game. Okay, I don't know if Slovis would think they played a really great game because he was still getting you know, knocked around. But then, okay, well, we'll buy the party line on that one. But I think uh, what SC is going to have to do is they're going to have to be very patient and just work the chains, move down the field. That does I, What I'd like to see them do is what, what Washington State did. They threw the ball down the seams a lot. And uh, if you notice one thing about Mike Leach's teams, I mean, they're extremely well coached on offense. So the fact that Oregon, you know, gave up a lot of points, a lot of people give up a lot of points, you know, when they're playing Washington State. So that, I'm not phased by that. My thing is that SC doesn't feel like they're getting into a scoring contest with, with Oregon. And I think if you have the ball, they can't score. And my thing would be, you know, I expect, I actually hope that uh, Keenan Christen will get more, more carries. I hope they'll run some screens. I hope they'll run some misdirection. They've got to get uh, um, Oregon's defense on their heels. And they have to do it four quarters. Okay, four quarters. I think what we've learned is that SC can come back, and that's really important. And, they, you know, the comeback wasn't at home. The comeback was on the road, and those fans were going crazy. Okay, so I think they learned a lot. I think one of the big keys, Eric, and I'm not deviating away, deviating, deviating away from your question, 
what kind of crowd is SC going to bring on Saturday? Are they going to make it a home field advantage? Is there really going to be 77,500? And I would assume that there's going to be a lot of Oregon fans showing up for this one, coming down maybe from Oregon and in the Southern California community. I think when SC's team sees that they're really being backed by the home crowd, that'll have a big effect offensively. You know, their offense, really, you know, in a way, it's a battle between the SC offensive line and the Oregon offensive line. I think Oregon has the best offensive line in the conference. They're physical. They got NFL guys up front. SC has been maligned on the offensive line. If there's ever a game that the SC offensive line could make a statement and show improvement, this is the game to do it. Not the next three. Prove it here. Because I think where we are in the season, the last four games, honestly, as Daryl pointed out, I don't think you're going to have a problem having SC get up for games, even if they win this game, because all of a sudden the Pac-12 South Championship is on the line. They're motivated. Remember, we haven't seen this in a couple of years, the motivation to, you know, to finish. But, uh, you know, Slovis, I think he'll handle the pressure nicely. I really do. Uh, and maybe this is the game they're going to throw the tight end. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think there's been sort of a, a case of just kind of kicking the can down the road for USC. You, you had the first big road test against BYU. They lose that. Okay, we can explain it away with a, a true freshman quarterback sort of making mistakes. You go up to Washington for the first big road test. This is going to tell you where USC kind of ranks in the conference. Again, they're playing with a third-string quarterback in that game. USC is can't quite put it together against a Washington team that has now kind of fallen, fallen back to earth a little bit. Then it's, okay, let's see what they're made of. Let's go to Notre Dame. They don't beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame, again, gets brought back to earth a little bit by Michigan. So in, in all these games, you've had a handful of games where it's, we're going to see how good they really are, how good USC really is. And they haven't been able to do it. And there's always sort of been a next time available. This game, and this goes all the way back to sort of what you said off the top, this game sure feels like one of those without a next game available. It, it feels like this game is sort of a, a bottom line. You got to beat Oregon at home. Again, if this is a, an Oregon team uh, playing on the road and USC is going with a, a third string uh, quarterback and they're, you know, decimated by injuries all over the defense like they've been, I, maybe it becomes another kick the can a little bit and, you know, let's see how they uh, respond against Arizona State or, or something like that. But I, I think this gives you a, a real sense. And that's why I'm kind of willing to turn the page on Colorado pretty quickly because that's you got to win in that situation, in that environment. Let's move on to Oregon. Boy, this is going to tell us a lot about this team. And, and I think a lot offensively, too. We, heard, we have heard after every single game, they're doing things that we either didn't expect or weren't ready for or needed to take a little bit to adjust to. Oregon has played a lot of games this year. They're going to bring things they haven't shown. I mean, that, that, that's the one constant for USC's offense is that they are facing things that they haven't seen before. I would certainly expect Oregon to bring pressure from anyone and everyone. I, I think you, you mentioned the sack number. I think that's a little bit inflated. They, I, I believe they had something yeah. like 18 sacks in four games. A lot of them, you know, when, when you have uh, uh, 
Nevada and I, I believe Montana, so, something like that on the schedule. You compile those up. What I don't think is inflated are the interception numbers. Oregon has 14 interceptions this season. That leads the Pac-12. That's a number that they have been really good at the past few years. That's also a stat that USC has not been good at the past couple of years. So I think with that secondary, which got hit for over 400 yards passing by Washington State, you mentioned Washington State. They found ways to throw the ball. I think if, again, USC does not want to be Washington State offensively, but if they got a chance to look at a blueprint from any other Pac-12 team against Oregon, I think Washington State is probably a pretty good one where you can maybe see a little bit of ways uh, to attack this Oregon team through the air, which Washington State found a lot of success with. Two interceptions, though, and that's something where Keaton Slovis is not going to be able to throw interceptions. He has done a great job with that lately, Greg. What do you expect? I, I know you said you, you think Keaton Slovis can play well. What do you expect just from, from Graham Harrell, the, the look of the offense, the success potentially of the offense uh, against an Oregon defense? You rattled off the numbers earlier. It, it's, it's impressive when you look at this thing on paper. Well, one of the things to remember is now Oregon's defense has faced Washington State which has some similarities to what SC does offensively as well. So there's a little bit of that familiarity that they've seen. Not completely uh, the same, of course. I think we all would agree on that. I think that um, I think Graham Harrell is going to be uh, maybe start off not being conservative, you know, trying to show that he's going to throw it. I'm not so sure as the game evolves that he might just pull the reins back just a little bit because he's going to want to see what Oregon is doing. Are they double teaming? Pittman are they playing man-to-man which I don't think they're going to do for any length of time I mean obviously they they saw the Utah film anybody else that plays I don't think if SC played Utah again uh, Utah is going to be playing much (laughs) man-to-man to be honest with you if they are then they need to see a psychiatrist a football (laughs) psychiatrist so I think that uh, as the game progresses they're going to be looking to see what works and then attack it that way and as far as Slovis I couldn't agree with you more. It's all about not turning the ball over. They cannot afford interceptions at all. Any place on the field, you know, because if they're in the red zone and they throw an interception, there goes a scoring opportunity. If they throw one, you know, inside their own 25-yard line. My bigger fear on, on uh, uh, honestly, my bigger fear with Oregon's offense that puts pressure on the SC offense, I'm not so worried about Justin Herbert. I'm not. I am really concerned about C.J. Burdell. I think that this guy, let's face it, strength of Oregon, running the ball. Mario Cristobal, former offensive line coach at Alabama. Okay? Here's the problem. He, Burdell, can score from anywhere on the field. Uh, Cristobal, he wants to pound away. What is SD's perceived weakness and statistical weakness? The run. I am not convinced uh from my perspective that um the sc defensive ends are going to play the game of the year i think by this time of the year you are what you are i will hope that rector will come back and make a difference but a lot of teams have run at rector and they've run reverses against rector and uh rector may or may not be 100 percent healthy okay so that's something to consider but you know what the SC offense is going to be – this is an exposure game. I couldn't agree with you more. We're going to find out what SC is all about on both sides of the line of scrimmage. 
Yeah, I do like how this game maybe is setting up a, as a glimpse at the offensive lines on both teams. And Oregon, you mentioned Mario Cristobal, the, the former offensive lineman. It feels like Oregon has really invested heavily in that offensive line, whether it, it's yeah. recruiting, whether it's bringing in a, a former Alabama lineman via the transfer portal. Or, or whether it's bringing in a couple of, you know, three-star, maybe fringe four-star guys and coaching them up in a big way where you've got, you know, 40-plus career starts with, with some of these guys. That feels like it's a multi-year investment uh, in the offensive line. And, and we're going to get a sense of how that stacks up with what USC has uh, on the offensive line. And, again, this is a game that could come down to throwing the ball all over the field and, and playmakers outside. but. Yeah. Boy, it always feels like it, it's going to be how those offensive linemen play. Daryl, quickly, your your biggest key uh, for for this game. What what is something where either either a stat or a matchup or something where people are going to want to focus on this could tell the game. Well, I, I'm I'm still waiting for the moment where USC imposes their will and dictates to another team's uh, defense what they're going to do. And even if you try to stop it, they still are able to um, convert. So for me, I'm looking at a couple of matchups. When I think about Michael Pittman Jr., uh, Jr., Amon Ra uh, St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughn, I think about, you know, those prolific defensive backs that you talked about with 14 interceptions. You got um, Javon Holland and uh, Thomas Graham Jr. and uh, Bernie McKinley III. I like... You know, uh, Greg alluded to it earlier. I don't think that they're going to run a lot of man coverage, but boy, against against Washington State, they had a lot of miscommunication errors in their zone coverages. And on the road in the Coliseum, um, I, I think that there's some holes for them to exploit between Amon Ross St. Brown and, and, and um, Drake London. But for me, it, it really is going to come down to the attitude of the defense. In particular, can the secondary hold up if they have to uh, find themselves at the corner position in obvious man-to-man -man situations. Because we saw something that I thought was somewhat um, a defensive call that perhaps Clancy would like to dial back. But against an Oregon team, you may see some zero coverage with no free safety high just so that he could force um, uh, Herbert to try to beat him from the pocket. I think if USC is going to be successful, they're going to have to figure out a way to, to get Oregon to try to play left-handed, which means that they're going to have to be sound tackling uh, the ball and really execute the game plan. If they're able to do that, they'll give themselves a fighting chance. But for me, it just really feels like it's going to come down to that aha moment. Who's going to step up and make a play when that opportunity comes? Or will it slip through their hands? So I'm curious to see if, if USC can maintain their average, giving up only 21 points. Because if you can hold a team like Oregon to 21 points, you've definitely given yourself a chance to win this game. Yeah, let, let's stay with you. I know typically we'll, we'll run through two or three Pac-12 picks. Uh, this week, I, I think USC-Oregon is big enough. Let, let's just hammer this one. Yeah. Your pick, you, USC-Oregon this weekend, how, how do you think it turns out? I mean, Oregon is so explosive, but they haven't been in the Coliseum and they haven't played well in the Coliseum. So I like the confidence that USC is going to come into this game with. And again, if they can just, if they can feel galvanized by the energy of the crowd and get off to a very impressive start, I think that they can really disrupt the timing. The last few weeks, Oregon has given up over 30 points a game. And I don't think that that's by accident. I think that there's definitely something wrong and they're trying to figure out on what I perceive to be a short week coming into the Coliseum. 
So if uh, Keaton Slovis can continue uh, playing good quality football and um, evade some of the pressure that he will see from Oregon, I think that USC has enough offensive firepower to go toe-to-toe with Oregon. But for me, it's going to come down to special teams play, converting um, and, and minimizing Oregon on third down. They're at 44%, getting them down to about 29 maybe 30% um, effective completion. Getting them off the field will give them a chance. But I like USC in a very hard-fought close game, 34-31. All right, Greg, let's go to you. How, how do you see this one playing out? Okay, well, I have to say one thing before we start. Uh, I'm going to predict Washington is going to upset Utah in Washington. And because of that, no pressure on the Trojans. But here's the deal. Bottom line is, I think that if USC plays as well as they can play and Oregon plays as well as they can play, I think SC actually is going to win. And I'm going to pick it with a McGrath field goal because I agree with Daryl. They haven't been in the Coliseum. Uh, Her- Herbert is not exactly proven that he's a big game player with a lot of NFL scouts watching him play. There's a lot of pressure on him. I don't think there's a lot of pressure on Slovis. So I'm going to sit there and, and my head a little bit says Oregon. My heart says USC. I'm going with my heart. Look, you, you guys are really worrying me here. I, I was all ready for you both to take Oregon, and I was going to take USC. <laughs> I, I don't like all of us on the same side on any kind of pick, but I, I do think that Oregon has shown some weaknesses the last couple of weeks, and, and I think USC can play well enough at home where they could take advantage of it. My caveat is – I don't think USC can let Oregon get out ahead to a big lead early. I don't think Oregon is the kind of team where USC can just turn it on halfway through the third quarter and chase them down because Oregon has finished these last two games. They've given up points, they've given up yards, but they've been the team to finish and come back and win. So they can play a fourth quarter too. If USC leaves it up to that, I think the hill might be too big to climb, but Boy, we, we all like USC's chances this weekend, and I think that says, A, a lot about the Pac-12, but also a lot about kind of the talent level that, that USC brings to the table here. So we'll see how it plays out uh, Saturday evening at the Coliseum. For Daryl Rideau, for Greg Katz, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for watching. We are SC Game Day.